be uh, finishing off our Abide preaching series. Uh, please give him a warm welcome. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. As Laurie said, I'm finishing off our Abide series. If you've been with us in recent weeks and months, you'll know we've been looking at John's Gospel. That's one of the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. And chapters 13 to 17, Jesus' final words to his followers before his arrest and then his death and his resurrection. And we've been listening in to this conversation and learning from it. As we've seen Jesus wash the feet of his disciples, an act of love and self-sacrificial service, which he says is to be an example to us. And then he's taught on things like uh, the spirit, persecution, mission. And we're now in the last chapter of this section, in chapter 17, where Jesus prays. And we get to overhear this prayer. And we've seen him pray for himself and his mission. He's prayed for the disciples who are there with him in his day. And now today, we're going to do the very last bit of chapter 17, where he actually prays for us. He prays for people who would follow him in the future. He prays for you and me, for all of us who are following Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus prayed for you. And that prayer is recorded in the Bible at the end of John 17. John 17, 20, Jesus is praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, i.e. the guys with him at the time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is talking about the mission that's going to kick off. The word is going to go out through these people, through the generations, all the way down to us. So we are some of those who've believed through the words of those who are with Jesus at this point. Jesus prayed for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's true of you. If you're here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that can be true of you. These words can become a prayer for you because the invitation is always there for us to turn to Jesus, to become a follower of him. And as we see what Jesus prays for us in these verses, we find what Jesus really cares about, what he really wants for us. And often that's the way, isn't it? People's prayers often reveal the things that they really care about. If you pray with someone regularly, you get a feel for the things they really care about. Or if you pray in a group, often you can spot people's different kind of priorities and the things they really care about for the different things people choose to pray about. Our prayers often reveal our hearts, and this prayer reveals Jesus' heart for us. It's going to show us some things Jesus really cares about for us, really wants for us as his followers. And it's kind of an interesting prayer because Jesus is praying to God the Father, but he's also praying knowing that the guys around him can hear him and knowing that that will be recorded in Scripture and that you and I would get to read it. So he's praying so God the Father hears him, but he's also praying so that we hear him. And that means the answer to this prayer comes, yes, through the work of the Father, but also through us partnering with that. I think there are some challenges for us to hear and receive in this prayer. There are things that Jesus wants us to do in response to and as the response to this prayer. And so we're going to see two things that Jesus really cares about, that he really wants for you and me, for any follower of Jesus. And we're going to think about, well, what does that mean for us? How do we respond? We're going to see Jesus wants us to be united so that we can be a witness to the world. And Jesus wants us to have a revelation of who he really is, to get to know him so that we can experience his love. First off, the first thing Jesus prays for, the first thing he really cares about is that you and I and all of God's people would be united as one so that our very unity would be a witness to the world around us. Let's read the first half of this bit of the prayer. This is uh, verse 20 of John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Jesus wants us as his followers to be united, to be one. And that oneness, that unity, is actually a a picture of, a reflection of the oneness and the unity that exists in God himself. Our unity is modeled on the unity of God himself. Because Jesus, the Son, is united to God the Father, part of the doctrine of the Trinity, something I spoke about a few weeks ago, and you can catch up on the recording online if you want to on that. There's one God, God existing three persons. Each of these three persons are fully God. They are united as one, and Jesus is calling us to be united in a way which mirrors and kind of represents the unity that is there in God. And in God, there's a unity, and there's perfect unity of being. God is one being, there's unity of being. And also, there's unity of love. For all eternity, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist in a relationship of perfect love. And he's praying that we would be united as he, God, is united. And what does that mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean a unity of being. We are different beings, separate beings. God is one being. But it does mean a unity of love. The same way that love unites God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, love is designed to unite us. And it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus prays this because it links to stuff he's already said in these chapters. He's called us to love one another with the same love that he has loved us. John 13 verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also were to love one another. Or a few chapters later, John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus' call to all of his followers is that we love one another with a love that reflects and is modeled on his love for us. That's a love of self-sacrifice, a self-giving love, a love that puts others first, a love that's put into action. He says, here's my love for you. Now you are to love each other in the same way. And the way that we foster unity amongst ourselves is to be deliberate about loving in that way, putting the active, proactive love into practice. You might ask, well, why does Jesus really care about this? Why is unity among the people of God so important to Jesus? Well, one of the reasons is given here. One of the reasons is because one one of the outcomes of that unity, as a unity, we become a witness to the world. Jesus prays in those verses we read that we would be one, we'd be united, so that, verse 21, the world may believe that you, the Father, have sent me, Jesus. Or verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Our unity, the depth of our love and unity is a witness to the world and is meant to point people to God and the fact that he sent Jesus into the world. That means we're meant to look different because of this unity. We're meant to stick out. We are meant to be marked out in the world by the quality and the depth of our friendships and our love for one another and our unity together. People are meant to see that. And the idea is people looking to Christian community, they see such depth of love and unity. They go, there must be something real here. There must be something special. There must be something behind this. And that is that the Father sent the Son. When we live out the answer to Jesus' prayer here, what Jesus wants for us, we look different 
the world notices that, that points people to Jesus. So the question becomes, well, in practical terms, what does that look like? What does the unity look like? Yeah, a few thoughts on that. It looks first like us as a church community, as a local church family, prioritizing unity and seeking to be united. It looks like first recognizing the fact we are already united. Whatever differences we might have, we are united by the fact that we are all in Christ. We've responded to the same gospel. We're following the same Lord and Savior. We are united, and then we choose to recognize that and seek to live in light of that. And we do that by prioritizing unity through love. This kind of love that Jesus calls us to, we put that into action. We put other people first. We are quick to forgive. We work hard at being united. It means that we are deliberate about not being people who easily fall out, people who hold a grudge, people who compete with others. But we love, we forgive, we preference each other. We recognize that we are united, and so we live out that unity. That's what I think the answer to Jesus' prayer looks like for local church families like ours. But I also think there's something here about the kind of global church family. Jesus also wants unity across all of his people, across the global church family. And it's easy to look around the Christian church today and actually be struck by disunity more than unity. And if you know anything about the last 500 years of church history, it is arguably a story of increasing disunity and fragmentation. And that can raise those questions for us. When we read Jesus' prayer, his desire for unity, we see the lack of unity around us, kind of what's going on. Again, there's a few thoughts there. One thing I think is helpful to say is some disunity is and has been right and necessary. There are times when churches that claim to be following Jesus move away from the teaching of the Bible, step outside of Christian orthodoxy, outside of what the Scriptures teach, outside of what for 2,000 years Christians have believed, ultimately outside of following Jesus. And there are times and situations when disunity is the right thing because people have strayed from faithfulness to Jesus. But I also think it's fair to say there has been too much disunity in the Christian church both in Christian hearts and also in practice. And I can say for myself, I've been on quite a journey actually about this over the last few years. I've grown up largely in one type of church, in the same kind of church experience. And I think through that, I had either assumed or maybe absorbed the message that my type of church has got it all right, other types of churches have got a load of things wrong, and that my type of church is the answer to all of the world's problems, or all of the church's problems, and we are God's good news to the world. And for the last few years, I've been working for a parachurch organization. So I'm regularly working with Christians from different types of churches and different Christian traditions. I'm regularly at different churches and with Christians from different traditions. And I've been deeply challenged by the deep love people have for Jesus, by their prayerfulness, their knowledge of the Bible, by their love for others. Many people, I look at them, I think, gosh, I want to be like you. You are challenging me about actually areas of immaturity in my life. I want to mature like you. It's been really healthy for me to get to know Christians in other churches and other uh, church traditions. And to be honest, I've had to recognize there are a load of ungodly attitudes in my heart, a load of arrogance in my heart that I've had to repent of and turn away from and ask God to shape my heart to be like his heart. I realized that, wonderfully, we as a church family are, by God's grace, part of his family, part of what he's doing here in Bexhill, Hastings, the UK, and around the world. But we are not the ones who've got it all sorted. We're not actually God's solution to the church. We have so much to learn from other Christians, other churches, other traditions. 
And so I think unity goes beyond our local church family to the church family globally as well. And often in practice, I don't think there's a lot of practical outwork of that. Often doing stuff together isn't actually necessary. But the most important thing, I think, is our heart attitudes. It's our heart attitude, a heart of humility towards brothers and sisters in other churches, other traditions. Do we want what's best for them? Do we pray for them? Do we celebrate the things that God is doing through them? And that's what God calls us from, too. Unity may be, in a sense, at a distance, but it's unity that in our heart we recognize our brothers and sisters. We want what's best for them. We pray for them. We are united with them. That, I think, is part of the outworking of Jesus' prayer. He wants unity across all of his people across the world. Jesus calls us to unity, prays for unity, so that we might be a witness to the world. And there's some things that we might need to respond to, we might need to do to outwork that. That's one thing Jesus really cares about, he really wants for you as a follower of Jesus. And the second thing we see in this prayer is that Jesus really wants you to get to know him deeply so that you could experience his love deeply. Let's read the second half from verse 24 of John 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus' desire, his wish, his want for us as his followers is that we might be with him to see his glory. His glory is like the the manifestation of who he really is, the showing of who he really is. And Jesus has already promised that's going to be reality. He's promised earlier in chapter 14, he's going to go away. He's going to prepare a place for us. He's going to take us to be with him and we will see his glory there. But we don't have to wait till that point to see Jesus' glory. Because he also tells us that he's made uh, God's name, God's glory, known to the disciples around him, and that he'll continue doing that. Verse 26, I've made known to them, the guys with him, your name, representing God, and I will continue to make it known. Jesus says he's going to continue to reveal himself, reveal the Father, to make God known. How would he do that? He'll do that through the Spirit. We've seen already in these chapters loads of stuff about the Holy Spirit whom Jesus is going to send. And one of the things the Spirit does is to continue revealing Jesus to us. Chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. That he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit takes what's Jesus's, what's it, what is Jesus's, declares it to us. He reveals Jesus to us. We get to know Jesus through the Spirit. The Spirit reveals to us God's name, God's glory. That's how this prayer gets answered. Jesus' desire for you, his want for you, is that you'd know him, and you'd know him deeply and personally. That as you're filled with the Spirit, you develop a relationship with him. He reveals Jesus to you. That's true if if you're a follower of Jesus. It's also true of you if you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus' desire is that you would come and follow him and that you too would know him. You'd know this intimate, deep knowing and this enter this life-giving relationship with him. That promise that Jesus is going to keep making himself known is there for you too. That's what Jesus is doing right now. Jesus is alive all across the world, all the time. Jesus is revealing himself. Maybe you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't know Jesus well, maybe you should actually ask Jesus to make himself known to you. Jesus' promise here is that he will continue to make himself known. Ask Jesus 
by his spirit to make himself known to you. Or maybe actually you need to go away and read John's gospel, read this biography of Jesus, get to know Jesus. Who is he? What did he say? What did he do? Ask Jesus to make himself known to you. Don't miss the opportunity to find out more about this Jesus. Don't miss out on what Jesus is offering you, what it means to know Jesus. And one of the reasons not to miss out on that is because of the why to why Jesus wants us to know him. The reason Jesus so longs for us to know him, he says in this prayer, is so that we might be loved. We might experience his love. Jesus doesn't just want you to know him as an intellectual exercise. It's not a tick box thing. It's not, let's pass an exam. Jesus wants you to know him intimately, personally, relationally, so that you can experience his love. Verse 26 again, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus wants us to know him and the Father so we can know the love that is between him and the Father. Jesus wants you to experience the same love that for all eternity he as the Son of God experiences and receives from God the Father. And this is truly one of the most astounding, staggering truths of Scripture that Jesus wants you to know him, to know him personally, not primarily so you can serve him or tell other people about him, not primarily so you can escape hell and judgment, ultimately so you can enjoy and experience and bask in the love that he has for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. It's not just any old love. It's the love that's at the heart of God himself, the most perfect, pure, unending love that there is. Jesus' desire for you is that you would be brought in, brought into the relationship that exists at the heart of the universe, brought into the heart of God himself, and that that love that is there for you might be known, tangibly experienced and felt and enjoyed. It's astounding. It's overwhelming. It sounds so good to be true, and yet it is true because it's what the Scriptures say. It's what Jesus actually prayed for you and wanted you to hear this prayer. And this helps correct some of the caricatures we often have of God. The God of the Bible is not far off and distant. He's not harsh and judgmental. He's not a slave master or an abusive despot. He's a loving father who sent his son because his heart's desire was that you and I might be brought in to experience the love they have for one another. Don't ever believe the lie that Jesus doesn't love you. Don't ever believe the lie that Jesus can't love you. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that you could know him and experience his love. What's our role in kind of response to this prayer? What do we actually do? Well, I think we're to be proactive about getting to know Jesus. He says we're going to get to know him, and in that we're going to experience his love. We are to be proactive in connecting with Jesus, getting to know Jesus. We're to be proactive in receiving this love, recognizing it, enjoying it, taking hold of it. I truly believe that to grow in Christian maturity is to have an ever-growing appreciation of an experience of the love of God. And that's one of the things the Scriptures would indicate to us well, that requires some proactive steps from us. We grow in our experience of the love of God as we get to know Jesus, as we ask the Spirit to fill us day by day and reveal Jesus to us, as we open the Scriptures and ask the Spirit to speak to us through the Scriptures that God has given us, as we connect with him through prayer, through worship, through silence, through meditating on the truths of Scripture. We're to respond to this by being active and proactive 
in getting to know Jesus so that we get to experience and enjoy and bask in this love. With a band could come up at this point, please. So we get to overhear the prayer of Jesus, the prayer said for you and I, and that shows us what Jesus really cares about, shows us what he really wants for us. And because we get to overhear, there's some stuff for us to do in response. Jesus wants us to be united, so our unity be a witness to the world. Maybe for you that means there's someone you need to forgive within the church family. Maybe you need to reconcile with someone today to prioritize unity. Maybe for you it's thinking, what's it like for me to love other people as Jesus has loved me? What's it like for me to preference others, to put others first in that way? Or maybe actually for you, God's just going to gently challenge you about your heart attitude to Christians in other churches and other Christian traditions. Maybe actually God wants to change your heart, taking away unhelpful attitudes, bringing to him, doing to you his heart. We want to be proactive about unity so we're a witness to the world. And Jesus wants you to know him so you can experience his love. Friends, let's be people who are ever more getting to know Jesus deeply and ever more proactively taking hold of, experiencing, enjoying his love. What does that look like for you personally? How do you connect with God day by day as we go through the week? How are you asking the Spirit to fill you day by day, getting into the Scriptures, worshipping him, connecting with him in prayer? What's it like for you to prioritize getting to know him personally so you can enjoy his love? And do you take time just to reflect on the love of God, to receive the love of God, to enjoy the love of God? We're meant to do that. He wants us to do that. We're to take hold of that. And maybe you're hearing you actually don't know Jesus personally yet. You're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you are kind of stumbled in, you're not quite sure what's going on. Maybe you've been here for months, even years, but you think, well, I don't know Jesus personally. Friend, Jesus' heart's desire is that you would know him. You'd know him personally, and in that you'd enjoy this wonderful, wonderful love. If that's you, don't leave here without finding out more, talking to one of us, what's it mean to follow Jesus? How do you respond and receive that? Don't miss the opportunity if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I think a lot of the response to this prayer is stuff we go and do this afternoon and tomorrow and into our weeks, but also we're going to respond in prayer, just setting our sights on Jesus, allowing the Spirit to speak to us, to work in us, allowing us to respond to him in whatever way we feel is right. If you're willing and able, why not stand? Let's just start to set our sights on him, to behold Jesus again, to reflect on these truths. We're just going to invite, uh, pray and invite the Spirit to come and be working amongst us, and then the band will lead us and give us a chance to worship in song. Jesus, we thank you that you prayed for us and that we get to hear that prayer. And we thank you that we see in this your heart and what you want for us. We recognize that you want us to be united as a local church family, as the global church family. And we pray, Lord, help us to be proactive in that. If we need forgiveness and reconciliation here, Lord, help us to take those steps. If we've got, Lord, ungodly attitudes towards others, would you help us to repent of those, to turn away, and instead, Lord, to have our heart shaped like yours. And would we be, Lord, a powerful witness to the world that we would point people to you through our unity? And Jesus, we thank you that your heart's desire for us is that we would know you deeply, personally, intimately, so that we might enjoy the love that exists within you between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, we ask right now, would you come and would you pour the love of the Father into our hearts? Would you bring to us fresh revelation of the depth of your love for us? 
God is not reluctant in giving his love to us. He's not begrudging. He's not limited. He showers us with never-ending, perfect, pure love. Spirit of God, come and minister that to our hearts. Come and let us know that. Come and chip away, Lord, lies or just things the enemy has done to stop us from experiencing that love. Just believe God wants to do that, just to chip off right now some hardness in our hearts that has come from the enemy. Maybe a lie if God doesn't love you because of that thing that you did. Maybe a lie because God doesn't love you because of that thing that was done to you. Spirit now just very gently is chipping those things off our hearts, softening our hearts. Jesus is whispering, I love you. I love you. I love you. Spirit, come and reveal that to us. Let us tangibly know that. Let us more deeply experience that. Let us bask and revel in your love for us, we pray. We invite you, and Spirit, we ask you, be speaking to us, be working in us, be doing us good as we worship you together now. Amen.